Lord, with flowers bright and fair, and everyone who seeks may pluck a lovely cluster there. Thy word is like a deep, deep mine, and jewels rich and rare are hidden in its mighty depths for every searcher there. Thy word is like a starry host, a thousand rays of light are seen to guide the traveler and make his pathway bright. Thy word is like an armory where soldiers may repair and find for life's long battle day all needful weapons there. Oh, may I love thy precious word. May I explore the mine. May I its fragrant flowers glean. May light upon me shine. Oh, may I find my armor there. Thy word, my trusty sword. I'll learn to fight with every foe. The battle of the Lord. We're continuing to learn from the Lord Jesus about the word of God. And in particular, about how we are to receive the Word of God. How we are to hear the Word of God. And this is huge. You may have spent this week all wrapped up in other things. And often in the midst of whatever we're walking through, the, the, the problems we have to solve, the obstacles we have to overcome, those things can seem really big, but, but in the big scheme of things, in light of eternity, they're not often actually so big. This is big. What you do with the Word of God is huge. It determines the state of your soul. It determines whether you are a plant that grows and flourishes and produces fruit or whether you are a plant that shrivels and is cut down and tossed into the fire. What you do with the word of God really matters. So Jesus is teaching us and he's teaching us in parables. So we're going to pick up Luke chapter 8 and reading in verse 4. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering, people from town after town came to hear him. He said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God and the ones along the path are those who have heard. When the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe 
Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Take care then how you hear. We're going to unpack this parable together, and I want to begin by looking at verse 5, where we are told that a sower went out to sow his seed, and verse 11, where Jesus tells us that the seed is the word of God. The scriptures use many pictures, many word pictures, to help us get a sense of the value and the power of God's word. Uh, the word of God is compared to gold and to silver and to great riches to help us see its value. The word of God is compared to honey to help us see how it can be sweet to us and how it can nourish our souls. The Bible is regularly compared to a sword because it is the weapon of truth through which we combat darkness in this world. The Bible is compared to milk for the young. Just as when we have a a newborn infant, and that infant survives on its mother's milk. So the Bible for the brand new believer who's just come to Jesus, and they're just trying to make sense of what it means to be a disciple, the Bible is milk that keeps their faith alive and keeps them surviving. But the Bible is also compared to solid food in the book of Hebrews. Solid food for the mature. So that whether you've been a Christian for one year or you've been a Christian for 81 years, the Bible is the manna that feeds your soul, that keeps you spiritually nourished so that you do not starve, so that your faith does not weaken and shrivel and die. The Bible is compared to fire and to a hammer. Jeremiah says, well, the Lord says through Jeremiah, is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. In Ephesians, Paul compares the word of God to water. He says that Jesus is cleansing his bride and washing her with the water of the word. The word of God is compared to a lamp and a light for our feet, for our path. 
Here, the word of God is compared to a seed. So what's, what's being taught by that picture, right? The word of God, Jesus could have used anything in the world to describe the word of God, and he chooses to use a seed. Uh, Crystal's been growing some seeds at our house. She has this closet, and she's put these little seedlings out, or seeds, and, and she's had this light on it. She goes in faithfully every morning and waters it. Now we got, little, we got basil coming up everywhere, and we got peppers and all kinds of stuff. It, isn't it amazing what happens when you put a seed in the ground and suddenly it sprouts and grows? I mean, we kind of take that for granted, don't we? It's an acorn, right? Do you know that most acorns have one, that's the shell, and there's one single, typically one little seed inside that acorn that becomes an oak tree. I mean, that's just, it's amazing. Uh, Wendell Berry said this, The miraculous is not extraordinary. It's the common mode of existence. It's our daily bread. Whoever really has considered the lilies of the field or the birds of the air and pondered the improbability of their existence in this warm world within the cold and empty stellar distances will hardly balk at the turning of water into wine, which was, after all, a very small miracle. We forget the greater and still continuing miracle by which water, with soil and sunlight, is turned into grapes. So think about just the wonder of the natural world. We've sung about it this morning, haven't we? Right? This is my father's world. How great thou art. We've sung about the wonders of the natural world and this, the, the way that a seed becomes this, this mighty tree. The word of God has the power to implant itself into your soul and turn you into a mighty man or woman of faith and hope and love. You can become an oak tree of righteousness and godliness and humility and patience. You can become a blessing to the people in your life. You can become a fountain of godly counsel and wisdom to those in their distress. But how do we get from who we are to that oak tree in the faith? The Word of God. In particular... I think Jesus is referring to the message that he has been going around from town to town preaching. Remember the context. This is the very height of his ministry. We're told that when he had a great crowd that was gathering, right? Thousands on mountaintops and in plains. Thousands of people coming. And they're coming from town after town. They're coming from the south and Judea. They're coming from the north and Lebanon and Syria. They're coming from all around. And now he starts teaching in parables, as we unpacked last week. And now he, what is he preaching? The same message he's preached from the beginning. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn from your sins. Turn to God. Trust in him and his promised Messiah, and your sins will be washed away. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Prove yourself a true follower of God by trusting Him enough to keep His word. And you will have a place in heaven. The gospel. 
Mount Hermon, there is only one seed that can result in salvation. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other message that will do. You can plant a a message of of Islam in people's hearts. You can plant a message of Hinduism in people's hearts. You can plant a message of secularism in people's hearts. You can plant a message of, of fairness and equality and Marxism in people's hearts. But it's not going to produce the righteousness of God. Those seeds won't get you to being the oak. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have seed in this parable. We have a sower. Verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed. And of course, in the immediate context, Jesus is probably referring to himself. It's literally what he has been doing and what he is doing at the moment as he's preaching. But we know that the principle taught here applies to all who sow seed this way. The under-shepherds of Jesus, his apostles, his prophets, his evangelists, his pastor teachers, as we've been unpacking in Ephesians. But this also refers to all believers, to all of us. As we seek to share the gospel with the community and the world around us. We have this picture of of the farmer walking out among his fields. And he's got his pouch with his seeds. And and he reaches in, pulls seed, and he just, just flings it all out. Okay, It's where we get our word broadcast, right? The nightly news broadcast. The word broadcast literally came from the farmer taking his seed and broadly extending his arm. And letting the seed go where it may. We are called to share the gospel with everyone. We're not given here a picture of the farmer who he looks and he says, well, that looks like hardened soil there. And that looks like, uh, you know, um, uh, rocky soil there. And there's thorny. So he takes this and he he carefully. That's not what we see here. That might be good, good use of your time in farming. That's not the point. The point is, this is the word of God. And with the word of God, we're not to sit here and say, I think that person might be receptive to the word. That person's not going to be receptive. I'm not going to share with them. When I kind of, no. As Christians, we are to take our light and we're to let it shine. We are not to put it under a lampstand. And we are not to pick and choose whom we share the gospel with. We are to carry Jesus with us wherever we go. The truths of the gospel are what make us who we are. When people interact with us, they are interacting with an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And if they have more than a minute to spend with us, they shouldn't walk away thinking we're anything else. They should know I'm interacting with an ambassador of Jesus Christ. So here we are. We're sowers, right? And we're broadcasting our seed. We're we're sharing the word of God. We're spreading it to others. And then we have the soil. And the soil in this parable represents the human heart. When we are speaking the gospel to others, it enters through the mind, through the understanding. But our aim is to get to the heart. The mind is the doorway to the soul. For somebody to truly be saved, for somebody to truly be brought to Christ, it has to go beyond here. It has to get into the soil of the heart. For example, imagine you have a friend who 
She does not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. She doesn't. And, and you say, all right, we're going to talk about this. Come over to my house you know, for, for a supper. And we're going to spend time breaking bread together. And we're going to talk about why I do believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And she comes over and y'all have dinner together. And you have this conversation. And honestly, by the time she leaves, you've changed her mind. She does believe that Jesus is the Son of God intellectually. You've won the argument. She's convinced intellectually. But you haven't seen her heart change. She's not yet willing to submit to the Son of God. See, the the aim must be more than just here. We use words. We use truth. The gospel is a message of facts. And we preach those facts. We share those facts. But the goal is for them to go from here to here. And to be received by good and honest soil. And only God can do that. The heart is where the gospel takes root and has its saving effect. Which is why many people have said that the distance between heaven and hell can be six inches. The distance between the head and the heart. So we have four kinds of hearts described in our parable. Four kinds of hearts. Yours is in this parable. Whatever the state of your heart is this morning, it's it's described here. So you should try and identify yourself. Maybe others that you've been praying for, witnessing to. We have the hardened heart. Verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed... And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Look down at verse 12. Jesus gives the explanation, verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The idea here is that farmers had fields, but... In ancient times, and as well as later, people often would trot a path through a field in order to save time. And people would follow, you know, the first person kind of creates the path, and the next person that takes the shortcut follows his path. And, and over time, the ground gets hardened, it gets downtrodden. And so as the farmer is broadcasting his seed, some falls on that hardened path. It doesn't get implanted. It doesn't get received by the soil. What happens? The birds of the air come along and they they pick it up and eat it. It would be similar to to us taking seed and and throwing it out here in the parking lot. We don't have as many kill deer around here as we did when we had the the gravel, right? They like to come out in the gravel and plant their their nests and sit on them. We still have a couple. Maybe they'll be here this you know here in a week or two. We'll see. Uh, but the, the I used to love them except when they would chase me around. Honestly, there were times that I would run for my because they'd like to chase me around for several years. Uh, but you, you can imagine the kill deer in a few weeks, right? They what are they going to do? There's seed out here on the parking lot. They're going to go eat it up. They're they're going to go take that away. The hardened heart is the heart that does not wish to receive the word of God. It does not wish to hear the word of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you're sitting through this sermon and inwardly you're a critic or inwardly you're being cynical and you're just refusing to receive what's being taught. 
You're refusing to, to be affected by the word of God. A hardened heart can be a distracted heart. Or it can be a heart that's experienced pain in the past. How many people are walking around today utterly rejecting Christianity, not because of the gospel of itself, but because of an experience with a Christian in the past or an experience with that church in the past. And it's caused their heart to harden all the more in rebellion against God. This parable teaches us that we have several enemies, and the first one right here is the devil. Jesus says that these birds who take away the seeds so that people may not believe are, represent the devil. And in fact, throughout history, birds have often been used as symbols of demons and demonic powers. Think about Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, right? And uh, things like that. This is a reminder to us that even right now, as you're sitting and preaching, the devil is against you. The devil does not want you to hear the word of God. And now that you're here and he's already lost that battle, he does not want you to receive it well. He doesn't want you to understand and he certainly doesn't want you to have a heart that's ready to accept what's being taught. And it's the same thing when you're at home reading your Bible. It's the same thing when you're out trying to share the gospel with other people. There is spiritual warfare happening. What does that mean? It means that before you come to preaching, before you open your Bible at home, before you share the gospel with that friend, you need to get on your knees and pray. And ask God, God, the devil is a spiritual being. His demonic forces are spiritual beings. I don't have the ability to combat them in and of myself. But you do, Father. He is the Lord of hosts, the commander of angel armies. Father, would you combat the devil? Would you give me ears to hear? Would you help me to understand? Don't let the seeds of your word be taken away from me. <clears throat> We're going to see throughout this parable that the implication again and again is that as you come to the word of God, prayer should be right there with it. Right? Salt and pepper, pear that always stays together. Somebody asks you for the salt, you give them the salt and pepper. Somebody asks for the pepper, you give them the salt and the pepper. Right? A pear that stays together. Reading the word and praying, hearing the word and praying, these two things always go together. You should never have one without the other. Second heart in our passage is the superficial heart. The superficial heart. Look at verse 6. Verse 6. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Uh, down to verse 13. Verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. Uh, there is a strata of limestone that runs underground throughout much of Israel and occasionally runs close to the surface so that the soil in particular spots can look good. It can look like a good place to plant seed and yet just below the surface is this rock. 
And so the plant will put its roots into the shallow soil and it'll come out with foliage and bloom. It will look healthy until it's time for the fruit. But the fruit will not come because the roots will have hit the rock. And what does that mean? It means that when the sun comes out, there is heat, but there's no water. There's no nutrients. And so the plant just withers in the heat and it dies. John MacArthur says, not everyone who claims to be a Christian really is. Unbelievers do make false professions of faith in Christ. And people who are not truly Christians can be deceived into thinking they are. Because notice, Jesus says this person immediately receives the word with joy. With happiness, maybe there's tears, maybe there's, there's warm feelings, but, but this, is, this is an exciting moment. This person's not trying to fool people. This person really does think they're saved. They're acting saved. They look saved. They, they think they're saved. But Jesus is teaching us here that true faith is an enduring faith. When God gives faith, When God creates new life, he tests his workmanship. Let's say that you took a master carpenter. And then you took me. And you gave us both a kit from Lowe's. With lumber and tools and all the directions we need to construct a table. And this accomplished master carpenter would would work on his table and I would work on mine. And then when we're finished, we would set up our table and we would test it. We begin to put things on the table. And we set the two tables side by side. There's his, there's mine, right? Maybe we take a, a fruit bowl, right? And we, we take the fruit bowl and we put it on his table and it It holds it up just fine, all is well. And then we take the fruit bowl over here, we put it on my table, and it comes crashing to the ground. Which table was built by the master carpenter? The one that held up. The one that withstood the test. In the same way, God tests us with opportunities to obey or disobey, even when it hurts, so that it will be evident over time, through the testing, whether you are really His workmanship or not. Your faith can prove itself through its fruit, through its obedience when the moments of trial come. If God has saved you, if God has given you life, then when the sun comes out with its heat, cancer, loss of a job, that snide comment that was made to you, your your children are rebelling against you, is your character going to hold up? Is your integrity going to hold up? Are you going to respond as Christ would have you respond? Or as your flesh would have you respond? If you are not God's workmanship, if your faith is not given from 
God, but was something you worked up, a man-made faith, the trials will tell on you. And you'll know. If you have eyes to see, if you're willing to see. See, even my sermon, but I, I read it this week, uh, about the attack on Pearl Harbor and how they had installed this new radar device at Pearl Harbor that was supposed to be looking for attacks, but had just been installed the week before the attack. And here's this giant blip that suddenly appears on the screen. And one of the the, uh, men working the radar goes to his commander and says, look, there's this giant blip on the screen. I think something's happening. And he says, no, no, we're still getting the bugs out. Right? It's a new machine. He even used the words, he said, don't worry about it. They should have worried about it. They should have prepared. Right? Friends, it is not always good counsel when someone comes to you and says, I I don't know that I have assurance of salvation. It is not always good counsel to say, oh, I'm sure you're a Christian. Don't worry about it. No. You say, let's talk together about what assurance looks like. Do you believe that Jesus keeps his promises? Yes. Did he promise to save all who call upon him from the heart? He did. Have you called upon him with whatever heart you got? I did. Is he going to keep his promise? He will. All right. Now go show that that's true by when your moments of testing come, you trust him enough to obey him. Assurance is a gift of the Spirit that comes, through, that comes over time as God proves himself faithful to you as you trust him in the trial. Can I say that again? Assurance is a gift from God that comes to you over time as he proves himself faithful to you as you trust him in the trial. Which means trusting him to respond as he would have you respond. I had a friend in high school, Garrett Garcia. Garrett Garcia was his name. Panama City, Florida. And uh, I think I was a freshman or sophomore. Must have been a freshman. And uh, invited him to our youth group meeting. And our youth preacher, his name was Joel And Joel preached a wonderful passage about Elijah and the prophets of Baal, right? And uh, such a wonderful passage. And Garrett Garcia, he grew up in in a home that did not know the Lord at all. This was his first encounter with the gospel. And many of us were praying for him as he heard this message. And And at the end, uh, our youth pastor did the, all right, everybody close your eyes, every head bowed. Right, who, having heard this message tonight, would like to receive the Lord Jesus. And I admit, I looked, I was kind of watching, and Garrett you know, kind of raised his hand, and, and I was thrilled. Right? And after the service, our youth pastor spent some time with him, and he prayed the prayer, and, and things seemed really wonderful and encouraging. He had received the word of God with joy. I don't know what happened when he got home and told his parents. But he didn't come around us anymore. At school, he kept his distance. A few months later, he was hanging around a very different crowd, very vo- speaking very vulgar language and those kinds of things. He didn't hold up. The faith that he had was not the workmanship of God. An initial positive response to the gospel does not guarantee that someone is saved. So many ministries that do good work fall into error here. They present the gospel, and if somebody gives a positive response, they take that response as a guarantee of salvation. 
But dear friends, the plant in this parable, it sprouts. There is foliage, but there's no fruit. It has the outward trappings, the outward signs of real religion. But when it comes to the actual obedience to Jesus Christ, it is absent. And time proves it as it withers away and as it dies. The membership roles of many churches today include the names of people who are cheating on their spouses and living with their girlfriends and abusing their children and living for money and getting drunk at the local bar. But their names are on membership roles because they once made a positive response to the gospel at a local church. A true Christian is not somebody who cries a lot of tears on Sunday. A true Christian is somebody who obeys the Lord Jesus Christ on Monday. It's another enemy we see in this passage, the enemy of false faith. How do we combat false faith? Number one, pray to God that he would give you that assurance that the Holy Spirit can give. Romans 5, where he sheds abroad his love for you in your heart, that inward sense of assurance. But second, obey when it's hard. The best way I can tell you to build assurance into your life is obey when it's hard. When it costs you. And then pursue the means of grace. What do we read in our confession of faith about sanctification, right? How do we grow in the faith? We read the Bible and we pray. We use the means of grace. And as we use the means of grace, like like Legos building up, right? God builds up our assurance, our confidence in the Lord. Third heart, an idolatrous heart. An idolatrous heart. Look at verse 7. Verse 7. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew... Oh, wow. I did not realize we're already... Sorry, guys. Verse 7. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Verse 13. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. I call this the idolatrous heart because this is the heart that receives the gospel but then goes on to prize other things more. This is the heart that goes on to love the things of this world more than Jesus Christ. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What does it mean to love the world? It means to love this present life and the stuff of this, pleasant, of this present life more than the Lord Jesus Christ and the world to come. It can be loving physical pleasures more than Jesus, television and triviality more than Jesus, loving success and uh, ambition at work more than Jesus. It can even mean just loving your children or your family more than Jesus. You cannot serve two masters. Our hearts must be ultimately and fully devoted to Christ, where He is the apple of our eye. He is our highest treasure in love. He is the master whom we are committed to serving. Or we will serve other gods, which is really what this is. It is idolatry. The message of the rocky soil is that the true Christian is one whose life is centered on God 
and not the cares of this world. COVID's revealing a lot, isn't it? COVID is revealing a lot about those who are truly committed to Christ, truly committed to being his disciples and growing in discipleship. And and those for whom church and Christian fellowship was just an extra margin, superficial aspect to their life that could be done away with. Many for whom it could be done away with, it has been done away with. And I think the next couple of months or so may be very revealing as we see who returns to churches and who doesn't. I'm not just thinking about here, Mount Herman. I'm just thinking about my fellow pastor friends and how they have many folks that they haven't seen in over a year. And they're just saying, we don't know if they're coming back or not. We just don't know. It's going to be very revealing in the next few weeks. David says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Does your soul pant for God? Is he the highest treasure and joy of your life? Or do other things matter more to you? What about the good soil? Well, I think we're going to have to wait and talk about it next Sunday. And that's okay. We'll, we'll talk about it next Sunday. That could be helpful to us. What is the message of this whole passage? It's all the way down in verse 18. Take care then how you hear. May the soil of your heart be receptive to the truths of God. To receive it with a desire to believe and to obey. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.